Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In the 60th chapter, interestingly, it was uh, in the 43rd chapter of Isaiah that our lesson in Sunday school came to us this morning. So we've been in the book of Isaiah now today at various places. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord from that portion of his holy word. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your rising. Lift up your eyes all round and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the opening of the second chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for From you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, so I may also go and pay him homage When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy, and entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts 
of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Today we recall the arrival of the wise men as we saw them brought forth to their place of prominence in our nativity at the front here this morning. They finally made it to the dwelling place of the young Jesus, concluding their long and arduous journey from afar in the east. Epiphany was technically two days ago on Friday. But, as this is the closest Sunday to it, we'll commemorate it in our worship today. An approximate date is fine, as even some biblical scholars have argued that it may have been up to a couple of years after the birth that these foreign dignitaries finally were able to arrive and pay tribute to the one who was born king of the Jews. Whatever the precise timeline, the point of the story is that wise men from Gentile peoples were led to Jesus. They came a pretty long way back in a time when traveling even a relatively short distance was quite a production. To have covered hundreds of miles one way took great motivation and commitment and sacrifice. And those continue to be hallmarks of a journey that leads us to Jesus. As the wise men divined back then, a bright light in the heavens was a harbinger of the coming of a great leader. It was a sign in the sky that motivated them to embark on their journey to Jesus. Another sign in the sky would, three centuries later, lead the upcoming Roman emperor to Jesus. There are at least two accounts of Constantine's conversion to Christianity In one version of the events, we are told that prior to setting out toward Rome, Constantine and his army saw a great cross in the sky. And underneath, they could make out the Greek words, which translated meant, in this sign, conquer. In another historical account from that same period, we are told that Constantine and his army experienced such a vision just before a battle outside of Rome began. And that's the the version that I remember hearing. Both accounts agree on this much, that Constantine didn't fully understand the meaning of the vision that he had seen, and he sought further clarification. Reportedly, 
He then had a dream that included uh, a symbol we call the Cairo. It's uh, an X with an R. It looks like a long P. It's drawn through the middle. And for generations, it had been a Christian symbol. And when the emperor-to-be awoke, he explained this dream to his army, and he told them to make a battle standard after the, the vision that he had in the dream, this Cairo, placing the symbol, he said, of the highest gods on their shields. And soon thereafter, in late October of 312, he led his forces into battle at Milvian Bridge on the outskirts of Rome at a crossing of the Tiber River. He led his army from the front as a good commander, behind the initials of Christ interwoven with a cross. His opponent that day, Maxentius, also led his troops behind a battle standard. On his was a banner of the unconquerable sun, Well, Constantine's infantry, which included in its ranks many Christians, prevailed in that battle against the odds. His cavalry chased the remnants of Maxentius' forces back across the river, and the leader himself reportedly fell from the bridge into the Tiber and drowned. Though Constantine didn't know which god had given him this sign in the sky, He was moved by his vision of the cross, and he vowed to worship no other god than the one represented to him there, and he sought out others who might help him to learn more about what it was he had seen. After seeking learned counsel from some officials in the early church, Constantine concluded that they were symbols of the only begotten Son of God, and that the cross he had seen in his vision was a symbol of Jesus' triumph over death. The historians who wrote these recent articles about Constantine's conversion experience went on to say that from that point on, Constantine devoted himself completely to God, immersing himself in the reading of Scripture. His mother, Helen, her prayers for her son had finally been answered. She had converted long ago to Christianity and prayed that one day so too would her son who would immerse himself in the reading of scripture and in the prayers. He is said to have made the priests of God his closest advisors and believed that it was his duty therefore from that point on to honor the God who had appeared to him in his original vision. But signs leading to Jesus don't have to come from the heavens above. They can come from those who dwell beneath the skies as well. Let's return to the story of the nativity. First, a proclamation went out to the Judean shepherds who were in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. When they had come to Bethlehem and seen They were the first heralds to their people, the Hebrews. They left the manger praising God. 
when they saw this, Scripture says, they made known what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. So like David before them, those who had heretofore been responsible for looking after livestock were now chosen for a new task by God. Having been led to Jesus, they were now responsible for leading others to Jesus. The same was true of the Magi, whose visit we commemorate today. By the light of the star, they had been led to Jesus. As they had deceived Herod, they did so that they might be part of God's plan for his leading of the Gentiles to Jesus. And this is what Emperor Constantine would do for so many in the Roman Empire. Following his stunning victory there at the Battle of Milvian Bridge. And this is what we too, we who have been led to Jesus, are called to do for others. We aren't all members of a royal court. We aren't all military tacticians. We aren't all governing over millions. We aren't all professional influencers. But we can all be stars, or rather points of light in a world of deep darkness that continue to shine as beacons of hope, testifying to the truth of the author of light and life, leading others to Jesus. Some star has led us here. Perhaps it was a parent or a grandparent or a spouse, or a friend. But God has used some agent or agents to aid each and every one of us in our own journey of following the star as it led us to Jesus. With that gift comes an opportunity to respond in kind, to give not of our stores of gold or frankincense or myrrh, but of something even more valuable, ourselves. And in so doing, fulfilling the great commission which Jesus bequeathed his disciples upon his ascension to the Father. To paraphrase an astute observation I read, suppose for a moment that you have a neighbor who's an atheist. Someone asks you, If you were a missionary in an atheist country, would you try to lead those people to Christ? Of course, you would respond, yes, that's why I'm here, right? Well, then the question comes, have you tried to lead your atheist neighbor to Christ? How would you answer? Well, God doesn't hold us responsible for opportunities that we don't have, however, He may hold us responsible for the ones we do have. Just as in the church, we are led onward together as the body of Christ toward ever closer encounters with Jesus through shared worship, through prayers, study, and service together. Those outside the church 
They need our care too. The Gentiles shall come to your light. So proclaim the prophet Isaiah. And they will come to your light, provided you've left it on for them, as Tom Bodet used to say. The first ones to discover, observe, and investigate the unusual light from the star of Bethlehem were probably the astronomers of their day, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose to speak to the Gentiles of Arabia in their own language so that they too would be included in the great birth announcement of this King and Savior of the nations. As we seek to lead others to Jesus, may we be as free and adaptable to use the native languages of those we are tasked with reaching, be it science or nature or philosophy or ethics or justice or cosmology, or even just the language of service, compassion, and love. They can all be used to lead people to the same place that we have been led to an encounter with the living Lord. On that first epiphany, the wise men and their entourage were destined for a very particular spot where a small child dwelt, that which the light of the star revealed to them. Today, though, Jesus is no longer bound to a, a single location. As the poet George Herbert wrote, now Christ plays in 10,000 places. Accordingly, there are now so many more lights shining to reflect the glory of the Lord that people don't have to travel great distances to far-off lands. The Word has become flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And though he is much closer today, the journey to him is no less arduous or important, and it still takes guidance to lead, to be led to Jesus. So that is my commission to us on the start of another new year, to give the same gift that we have received, the saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord. As the first wise men sought and found him by the light given by God, may we aid others seeking wisdom from with the light that lives in us. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.